Now, we've all heard the expression that money cannot, does not, will not make you happy, right? I mean, we've heard this, except that that's not 100% true, and here's what I mean. It, what we're finding is that money can actually make us very happy when we give it away. Track with me on this. There's a study done uh, with Harvard Business School. It was a few years ago. It was by a guy by the name of Professor Michael Norton, and he interviewed 600 Americans to learn about their income levels, their spending habits, and, and their levels of joy and happiness as it related to these things. And what they found was amazing, that regardless of how much money anyone had, regardless of their bills or anything else like that, if they chose to give money to others rather than spend it on themselves, they were decidedly happier. I want you to hear that. When they chose to spend money on others rather than themselves, they were decidedly happier. I mean, think about that. Someone who made $20,000 a year was happier than someone who maybe made twice as much and didn't give any of it away. That's a pretty interesting thing. And I began to wonder when I hear about studies like this, when I read anecdotes from people who talk about how much happy they are when they give things away, it made me ask a very simple question. Is it possible, and I think we're gonna be able to flesh this out further, is it possible that part of bearing the image of God means that we will find greater joy in giving than receiving? Is it possible? And I think that's a really interesting idea to explore. Uh, it turns out, actually, that uh, being selfless is more beneficial to self than you would think. And God even knew about this, obviously, before Professor Norton did. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Now, in Acts chapter 20, there's an important passage here that talks about that relationship between giving and, and receiving. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. If you don't know where that is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Acts 20, verse 35. And just to give you some background to this as you're looking it up, now, Paul is just getting ready to leave a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus is a city that um, you know Paul spent a great deal of time in. He set up the leadership there, and he was really fostering uh, strong maturity of faith within the Ephesian community. It's there uh, and letters to the Ephesians that we find Paul really giving us, well, let's say in the book of Ephesians, kind of a handbook of what it meant to be the church and, and to do church well. And so he's leaving this city and, and he's having this conversation um, and, and he ends this dialogue that he has with this. Acts 20, 35, in everything I did, as he's talking about living among them, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. Is it possible that being an image bearer that we reflect God more when we give than when we receive? Okay, that's going to be an interesting question for us today. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you that it's your attributes that we, we want to pursue and model and, and become more like. And so, Father, as we are studying your word, 
as we're looking into this idea of what it means to be people of generosity, I ask, Lord, that you would help us have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to you. In your name I pray. Amen. I, I, I do find it very interesting here. Like Paul is quoting Jesus when he says, you know, even the Lord Jesus said, like it's blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. I go back to this language that we find all throughout Scripture uh, about God's relationship to his creation. And I mean, he gave life to his creation and everything that he did and does sustains it. And so it's, I think it's fair to say that God is a giver at his core. And, and to be a giver, I believe that God is exceedingly generous. And so maybe that's the angle we go. If we believe that God is generous and we're to be like God, then, then we need generosity in our own lives to become more and more like him and actually to find more contentment in the life that we have with us today. So it's safe to say then that, that generosity or a spirit of generosity, a lifestyle of generosity transforms and it grows me. And we've already talked about this, right? Like giving uh, is at its core is something that reflects the Father, I think it would say. At its core, giving and being generous isn't actually about what is being given, but it's about the heart of the one who is doing the giving. And God is wildly interested in our hearts. Ephesians, right? So Paul is talking to the Ephesians in, in Acts 20, and then his letter to the Ephesians, he says, in Ephesians 5.1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And so we're told in this passage, we are to imitate God. That's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. That what does it mean for me to become more like Jesus and less like me, more of him, less of me? And, and so we are to imitate him. We are his ambassadors. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are conformed to the image of him. And so we're told here to follow God's example. We're told to imitate God in everything that we do. And when we start to contemplate imitating God's example, I think it's natural for us to think about his, his biggest traits, right? Like his biggest characteristics. And probably I would say the first characteristic that we would lean into, that we recognize and see, um, is his love, right? I mean, John goes so far as to say that God is love, right? Like he is the very definition of love. And so I would suspect that love is one of the first things on our lips when we're talking about the characteristics of God. We're told in the scriptures that God is love. And we're also told that the greatest commandments in the Bible is to love God, love others, right? Like these, this is what Jesus boils everything down to. And he actually even says that if we do these two things, that we fulfill all the laws of the prophet. So clearly love is an important, um, it's incredibly important to God. And I think one of the best ways that it describes it is probably one of the most famous passages that we, um, that even a non-believing world, this is a passage of scripture that people put on signs and they take it to sporting events. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. And this is speaking to the heart of who God is, right? It's talking about the moment when the Heavenly Father gave His one and only Son on the cross for you and for me. And there's no more important event in history. There's no greater picture of love. God loved humanity so much that He gave the costliest thing He could give, and that was His Son. 
that's a pretty big deal, right? And so you got love and, and his generosity kind of all in, summed up in this, right? Like, so for God so loved the world that he gave. You know, it's almost as if giving is the action of love, right? Like it's, it, it, is, it is something that is almost compelled by love that we would give something, that we would offer something to those that we love. And we see here very clearly that God is the God of love and the way that he shows that love is through generosity. And so simply put, God is a giver. That's what he is. And we love being people who receive things from God. We love um, the language of receiving his love, receiving his grace, receiving his forgiveness, receiving blessings from him. Uh, that, that, that does something for us. So I'm curious what the hurdles are for us um, to being givers. And some of us find that easier than others, but all of us have hurdles in it. So I'm curious where those hurdles come from, what fears we're living into, that kind of thing. But simply put, God is a giver. He is notorious. He's unstoppable. He's insatiable in his giving. And we're to follow his example. Generosity must be a driving force in our hearts and in our actions. So maybe pause there for a moment. Right? Like if you were to pause this message right here and ask the question, to what extent is giving a significant driver in my heart, in my life? Those hallmarks of our God, the love and the giving, should also be hallmarks of who we are as people who follow him and have a desire to imitate him. And when we lean into imitating God in these ways, then we start to reflect his character and his glory to those around us. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Now, I, I, I want you to notice the process here, that we lean into imitating God, and in doing so, we start to reflect His glory. So we lean into Him, and we reflect Him. That's, that's what takes place. So the closer we are to Him, the more we reflect His grace, His mercy, His love, His generosity, and we bring glory to Him in doing so. As we follow His example of generosity, we start to reveal the love and the grace and the glory of God to everyone else around us. That's a pretty awesome thing. And as we love and we give, as we more and more move into a lifestyle of generosity, we're transformed. Like it changes us. And that experience we have has tremendous spiritual growth. And we're ultimately changed. It just does it like the more we lean into him we reflect his glory according to uh, paul to the corinthian church and then in doing so we become more like him and in becoming more like him we're just transformed and, and, and things shift in our lives it's important that we reflect that that we get that right that god's generosity that as i live into that it transforms me it changes me now, not only does it transform me and change me, these are critically important things. It 
transforms me, it changes me. The more I draw in towards him, the less of me is, is shown, the more of him is shown. Uh, it, this is where Jesus says things like, like, do your good works before men so that they might glorify your father in heaven, right? Like, so in other words, as you become more like God and you do the things that God is all about, then God is going to get the glory from the things that you are doing. So be generous. Be generous. But generosity also guides me and it protects me. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, accumulating money and things can be a distraction uh, from matters in life that, that actually really matters. We all know the crazy things that people do for money and even us ourselves. Some of the wildest things that we might do for money. And we've seen people make insane sacrifices for cash or for material items because those things, well, they also have a lot of pull in our lives, right? When we're forced and when we're focused on something, we start to see it everywhere. Right? Here's an example of what I mean. A number of years ago, you know, we, we needed a different vehicle. And so I, I was looking for maybe possibly buying a truck. I never bought a truck before. Didn't totally know what I was looking for. Uh, I just knew that I needed something that's going to work well for my family to drive around in so that we can do maybe a road trip here and there and feel very comfortable in it. And, uh, and so I was looking at, you know, different kinds of, of trucks for it. And my brother-in-law says to me, he goes, you know, you should really think about an avalanche. And I said, an avalanche? I mean, isn't that a fake truck? You know, it's a it's an SUV with a truck engine in it. I, I'll be honest with you, uh, I didn't think much of it at all. I thought they were ugly. I didn't want anything to do with them. And then I just started researching it because he knows way more about vehicles than I do. So I just started researching it. And in researching it, my mind started to shift a little bit. I'm like, man, this thing does everything I wanted to do. And then one of the big things for me was I need to be able to grab a four by eight sheet of either plywood or drywall and have it fit comfortably. That was my criteria for the truck, but everything else led towards this SUV thing. So whatever the case, we ended up buying one. And so we buy this Avalanche. I'd never seen them around town before, but then the moment I buy this Avalanche, that I own this Avalanche, I'm seeing them everywhere. It's interesting that when we, we've been looking for a different vehicle and then suddenly we, we get this vehicle and we begin to see them everywhere. Why? It's not that they weren't there before, but now it's in my, it's in my view. It's in my focus. And so because it's in my focus, I see it more. It's because we're focused on it. We're prioritizing that vehicle and, and it now has a big pull in our mind and in our attention. And so if we are focused first on our careers and our growing bank account on the bigger house and possessing the latest trends, gadgets in my case, then those things are going to be priorities in our hearts. That's what will happen. Do you remember this weird thing called maps? Like you remember maps? You know, back before the days of GPS trips and, uh, chips in our phones, back before nav on our, in our vehicles. People used maps a lot. Now, if you don't believe me, you can, you can Google it, and, and it will show you what these things called maps actually are. And, and I remember how frustrating they were, right? Because you would unfold a map and you're trying to drive and you, somebody's just turning this map all over the place and you're interfering with each other and somebody's trying to navigate and somebody's trying to drive and this thing just seems complicated. And then you got to try and fold it back up properly, put it in the glove compartment. Ain't no map ever looked the same after you unfold it. But there was this interesting thing about them. 
The map always show north on it. It always showed this compass that would point north on it. It's assumed that you would use magnetic north as your reference point. But here's something really interesting. Like in the Middle Ages, their maps often started with the east as their reference point, not north. European map makers at the time were heavily influenced by Christianity, and they reasoned that the most important point on the planet was where Jesus died, to the east of Jerusalem. East in Jerusalem, sorry. And so, in fact, the word Orient actually just means east. That's what it means. And we still use it today to mean orientation even today, right? Like in terms of where our direction is, where, where our focal point becomes, where our uh, anchor point is. Our lives are the same today. We've been going to, or we're, we've been going to orient them, orient them by something to make our decisions to navigate our lives, right? Like we, we all need that orienting point. And my suggestion, my encouragement, my recommendation to us is that orienting point is Jesus. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19, it, it really drives this point home as it relates to our finances and orienting ourselves in the appropriate direction. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in, the, in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So what he's saying there, just in, the, in those, that one verse, he's saying, listen, don't place your hope in the cash, place your hope in the one who provides it. Don't place your hope in what you're able to gain from this cash. Place your hope in the one who provides it and causes you or gives things to you to enjoy. So God is the orientation point that we, do, we look towards and we pursue. Verse 18, command them, this is talking about the rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Like they could take hold of life that is truly life. Some of the most wealthy people in the world would suggest and have suggested in the past that all their wealth has not made them happy. All this pursuit of what they think this life was able to give them wasn't able to give them. And here it says that they would be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. And at Pathway, we just understand that to be life in Christ. That we want to help those far from God come to know life in Christ, even as it relates to our finances. And so in this passage, what we learn is that God is our true north. The good news is that when we orient to God, when we're focused on Him, when He is our anchor point, that we're safer than when we put our hope in accumulating enough money and possessions. Why? Well, because unlike pursuing money and wealth and possessions that can make us obsessive and, and damage our minds, our hearts, and our lives, Putting hope in God means embracing and enjoying the good gifts that He has given us, and we find ourselves getting to a place of contentment. Rather than chasing the carrot, we actually get to eat it. And so when we focus on God and His example, our mind will begin to see God everywhere. Just like I was able to see that avalanche everywhere, when I'm focused on God, I'm able to see God everywhere. 
Are you at a place in life where you, you just don't feel like you've been able to see God? What's your orient point? If I were to look at the map of your life, what are you pointed towards? And is it Him? Because when it is Him, you see Him more. And you see His works more. When our focus is on God, on His example, our mind begins to see God everywhere. And He will be the true priority that our hearts default to. And, and so the, the encouragement is, is, let generosity be the map. Let being like God be the map. The verse also gives us uh, a, a wonderful and just a simple guide of orienting our lives towards God. Like the first thing he tells them here, uh, like in verse 18, it says, do good. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it, right? Just do good. Sounds so simple. Uh, but it means thinking every day in every choice we make about if it's the right thing to do or not. And that includes our money choices. And so he's first off, he says, listen, like instruct the rich to, like, to do good. And then he says, uh, to be rich in good deeds. I love this one because it, it, it shows us that it isn't about, it isn't just the wealthy that are equipped to be generous. Every single one of us is equipped to be generous and to do good deeds for others. Being generous with our time, generous with our energy, generous with um, like our, our, our investment in people is just as important as being generous with our money. This isn't just like throw money at something and walk away and say, ooh, there you go, I was generous. It's much more involved than that. And then it also says here, be generous and willing to share. Now, if you have children that are really young and too young to understand this or this one, maybe just take a little note of this to share with them later on as they're growing. Uh, but the word willing here is important because it's not enough to give begrudgingly. It's not the idea. It's not like I have to give. It's I get to give. And the difference between those two statements and, and, and the attachment to those statements matters. I get to versus I have to. One is excited to and there's joy in it. And the other one is, is a little bit more begrudging and, and, and you feel like something's actually more being taken from you rather than you giving to it. It's not enough to give begrudgingly or out of some sense of obligation. God wants us to have a willing heart when it comes to generosity. So generosity, this spirit of generosity, it, it, it orients me, it, it guides me, it transforms me, moves me in all kinds of great directions. But the other thing that it does, and I think this is a point that, that's important for us to remember, and that is that it, it blesses and refreshes me. Like generosity is fun. It just is. It is fun to be generous. It's just something very powerful that happens to us when we move into that place of generosity towards others. Once we get past the thoughts of what it might cost us, we get to see how it blesses others. We just get to see it. And when we start to really grasp how it's blessing others, a joy actually takes hold of us. And we get to be a part of this. Generosity on any level works that way. It promotes this contagiousness within us, this contagious spirit of joy and gratitude. And let me tell you that that kind of contagious stuff is that I can get into. That I can get into. Generosity being contagious. So what does the life of generosity actually look like, right? 
Well, it means that we're committed to being generous with whatever God places in our hands. And it means that we hold it with an open hand rather than a tight fist. It's not about focusing on what we can't give. It's about looking at ways to give. Right? Broadly speaking, there are three big areas of our lives that we can use to be generous. So the first thing would be this, our talents. We can be generous with, generous with our talents. These are the things in which we excel. Uh, so God has given you a unique mix of gifts, of skills, of talents that you're able to uniquely bless other people with. If you're good at something, God wants you to be generous with that thing and help somebody else. So maybe you don't have a lot of money. Okay, that's okay. But maybe you're an amazing cook. Can you bless somebody with it? Maybe you're an amazing mechanic. Can you bless somebody with it? Like, what are the things that, that you have skills in, that you have talents in, that God has granted you that you can use to bless somebody else and use that in that generous way? That's the first thing. Like, our, our talents we can use in a generous way. Our treasure we can use in a generous way, right? That's the money and the possessions that we have. Early in the series, we... Um, we learn that we really don't own anything, right? Like we are the caretakers of what we have. We are the stewards of God's possessions. God owns everything. We are the stewards of it. We take care of it. It's all just on loan to us. But part of the arrangement, though, is that God wants to send things through you and not just to you. Do you catch that? God wants to send things through you, not just to you. In other words, he places some things in your hands just for you to hand them off to somebody else. That's what he does sometimes. So to be generous with, with our treasures. Then also to be generous with our time, our self, our heart, our investment with somebody. This is probably the hardest area for people to give. Because we're really, we're really talking about when we say time is giving of yourself. Um, we're, we're really talking about a, a personal investment and sacrifice at that point, right? You might give some of your time serving others. You might open yourself up to spend time with others in a small group, even here in our church. Just this week, I had a number of people contact me saying, hey, uh, I'm new here or I'm struggling. Where can I connect? Who can I connect with? Can you be a person that others can connect with? I think that there'd be a lot of value in that. Regardless, it all boils down to giving your very self. It is often the hardest thing for us to give. And I want us to pause there for a moment. Let's go back. Let's go back and talk about this idea of what it means to be image bearers, right? Like to bear the image of God. We are the only, only act of creation that is after God's kind. We are like Him. What did Jesus give? Like He gave Himself to others. No greater gift can a man give than to lay down his life for a friend. And so what would it be like for us to be more like him? And I actually think that we need that we offer other people us. Relationship, time, connection. 
I think most people would rather throw a few bucks at something rather than get involved because it's when we open our hearts and our minds to others and give ourselves. I think actually like that's probably one of the hardest things to do, but it's also where some of the greatest generosity takes place, right? Somewhere where the greatest generosity begins to flow. Our generosity can have tremendous impact. I mean, just look at what happens. Well, just look at what happens in this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12 to 13. This service that you perform is not only, listen to this, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it also it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So think about this. The service you're performing isn't just benefiting people, but it's overflowing in expressions of thankfulness to God, right? And so what you're doing is, what he's saying here is, what you're doing is drawing people to Jesus. Consider that. What you are doing is drawing people to Jesus. Is what I am doing drawing people to Jesus? Is what you are doing drawing people to Jesus? Talking about the service that we perform. So the service that I perform, the service that you perform is drawing people to Jesus with many expressions of thanks. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. You hear that? Like your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else? There's something that happens when our generosity in, in partnership with our personal investment, time, self, that it has a relational impact in the world around us. Like it draws people to the Father. And so we're, we're to then walk the walk, right? Like when we give, we are to give generously. We, are, we help people with their immediate needs, but we also help them connect with God and to help them with their eternal needs. So this is the thing, right? Like we, we, These are all things that we do. It's not bad to do these things in terms of take, taking care of people's needs, but we also have to remember that taking care of somebody's physical need and ignoring their spiritual need is not real gospel investment. It's good humanitarianism, but it's not real gospel investment. Gospel investment says that I'm going to take care of the widows, take care of the orphans, take care of those who are poor and hungry and destitute, but I am also going to take care of them with a broader umbrella than just their immediate physical and emotional needs. I want to introduce them to Jesus. We've got to take care of their eternal needs as well. And the bottom line is that Living a life of real generosity is what makes our faith and our love for others so real. You can say you love something all you want, but if you're not willing to give your talents, your treasure, your time, well, it can come across as nothing more than just a lot of lip service, right? There's such power in bringing the example of God's love and generosity to life and showing your deeds are as good as your doctrine kind of language, right? Not only does living a life of generosity bless God and help others in meeting their needs in very real ways, it's also something very powerful for us as well. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. 
whoever refreshes others will be refreshed, right? And so a generous person will prosper. And sometimes we put a period there and we don't think about the rest of the passage. But it actually says whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so the way that we prosper, right, like our activity is, is, is related to itself, right? And so whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And this is the context of what's being talked about here. So when we refresh others, we ourselves are then refreshed. And something beautiful takes place. You see, there's a refreshing work of generosity. The bottom line here is that there is joy to be found in giving. Giving our talent, giving our possessions, giving ourselves. God hardwired us to want to help others. And I can't ignore this as being part of being an image bearer. It's, it's not separate. Do we get that? Like, like there's, there's something intrinsically important here. We have been created to be like Him, and in being like Him, we are generous with who we are, with our possessions, with our time, with our talents. God hardwired us to want to help others. Our soul longs to give, and so when we give, it fulfills this deep need within us. As we lean into generosity, our thirsty soul starts to be renewed and refreshed. And I will tell you this, I have talked to many non-Christians that the moment that they get involved in doing something for somebody else, they are immediately refreshed. This is not just a Christian doctrine. This is a reality of life for every single person on the planet. Because everyone's an image bearer. And if it's true, and folks, it's just true. So, some of you right now are experiencing a weariness in your soul. Right? Like we're in a time right now where a lot of people feel disconnected. We're in a time right now where a lot of people are a little unsure as to what to do with their space, how to handle their time, how to give their talents and their, uh, you know, their gifts away and all that kind of stuff. And so maybe right now you're experiencing a bit of weariness in your soul. Right? Maybe that's manifesting itself as boredom. Are you bored in your faith? You've heard me say this so many times in the past, but if Christianity is boring to you, then you're not doing Christianity the way the Scripture speaks of it. Are you bored? Are you, are you feeling hopeless? If that's you, maybe the reason is that you've been chasing things that will just never satisfy. Or maybe you've been doing your best to walk with God, but you still feel like there's, there's still this emptiness, this weariness that you still experience there. My advice to you today is just to like, put your hope in Him and, and pursue becoming more like Him. Make sure that He is your true north, that He is that compass point for you. And, and live into generosity. Let that generosity be your map. Let him be your focal point, but let generosity be your map. And you just think about what you have to give. Like, what are you good at? What do you know how to do? And you don't have to be like the expert of it, right? Like, like maybe, you, maybe you're just good at plumbing, but you're not a journeyman plumber. Okay, can you help somebody with that stuff? Can you um, help somebody with, with sewing, with baking? Can you help somebody learn how to write a resume? Can you, like, what can you help? Can you help somebody learn how to make a bu budget properly? Can you... Like, how can you use what God has granted you as a talent and a skill to benefit someone else? 
Maybe you play an instrument. Okay, can you encourage and bless somebody with that instrument? What would that look like? And as you lean into a generous lifestyle that God has called all of us into, I promise you, you will find joy and refreshment for your soul in it. You see, it is interesting to me when Jesus says to save your life, you got to give it away. It's interesting to me that when, if you want to be great, that you got to serve. It is interesting to me that Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Like generosity is peppered over everything. And so I truly believe that true life in Christ is found in commitment of our lives and obedience to Christ. But it's also living into the generosity that he lived into. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's love prompts him to give. Generosity is the fruit of love. God is love. We are to be like him. And so, just ask, what's the fruit of your love? And if you've never tried the generosity lifestyle, commit to it for 30 days. Take 30 days and be generous. Be generous with your time, with your energy, with your talents, with your possessions, whatever it is, live into generosity. I promise you, you will find more joy and contentment in there than you ever would in chasing the things of the world. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I thank you that you show us all throughout the scripture that you're, one of the fruits of your love is your generosity towards us, your generosity of your relationship, of your time, of your possessions and of your desire of goodwill for us. And so, Lord God, as we are contemplating what it looks like for us to be more like you in our love and in our generosity, Lord, that we would study your word to dive deeper into it, to learn how to live out this life that you call us into. Lord, you tell us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. That is a gift as well. That's coming out of your generosity. And so, Lord God, would we be a people that tap into that so that we would have life to the fullest, life in you, and invite others into that. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.